Amen. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Matthew 7. Uh, those who are just joining us today, we have been walking through the Sermon on the Mount for uh, some time now. We come to chapter 7, verse 6 this morning is what we are going to be looking at, just that single verse this morning. Matthew 7, verse 6. Um, some of you know this. Uh, I really love books. I love reading and learning and studying. And over the years, I have amassed a bit of a collection, a little bit of a personal library of books. And um, one of the reasons why I, I love owning my own books is then I can highlight them and underline and write questions or comments in the margin and dog ear pages. I know some of you are like, ooh, that would bug you, but they're my books, so I can do that. Um, so if, if I've often thought if my office burnt down and I lost them, th- that would be unfortunate. It would be hard because I remember some things where they are on a page and I highlighted something there. Of inter- and, and I would lose that. I would lose all that. In fact, someone once said that when they borrow books from me, they get to read the book and they get to read me because I've written and colored in them so much. But, but I would lose that and I would miss that if I had to replace them. But for the most part, my books I would be able to replace. Uh, most of them. Some of them are probably out of print and might be a little bit more difficult to track down, but I, I would be able to replace most of them. But that's not always the case when it comes to book collections. The Allison Library at Regent College, where I did my graduate studies, has a collection of rare books and uh, some amazing books, and I'm, I'm geeking out on you a little bit here, but um, there's a Houston Packer collection that has a, a first printing of John Bunyan's book, According to the Chief of Sinners, printed in 1692. That's amazing. They have another uh, a book, a, a volume of uh, the, the, the works of William Perkins. He was one of the early Puritan uh, pastors to come to... Uh, what became the United States, the colonies, and it is, it is dated from 1613. In another collection, the Torrance Collection, they actually have a volume from John Calvin, the Reformer, from 1590. That's amazing. Those are rare books, and, and not books that you can replace on Amazon. Like, those are precious, and so they are, they are carefully preserved and treated with, with great with great care. This morning, as we return to the Sermon on the Mount, we come to a verse, Matthew 7, 6, that is a verse that speaks about handling something precious with great care. If you have your Bible, I invite you to follow along as I read this single verse that we're looking at today. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. As we begin or as we move towards our study of this verse, let me remind you of a few things. The Sermon on the Mount is prefaced by the announcement of good news. Good news that in the coming of Jesus of Nazareth, a whole new order of existence is, is, has come. That the future is invading the present. That heaven is invading the earth. This good news, when it takes hold of a person, it does something. The thing it does is it brings about transformation. It 
And that's what Jesus is describing. He's describing what happens when the gospel takes root in a person's heart. Something that happens is the creation of a new kind of humanity, gospelized humanity, men and women with different character traits, men and women living with a different purpose, different ambitions, living in a different way in relationship to this world, different ways of of, of living. I have been contending that the Sermon on the Mount is not Jesus giving us a new law, a new set of rules. He's not giving us the old law cranked up on steroids. Jesus here is painting a picture of gospelized humanity, humanity being restored into uh, what we were created to be, men and women who reflect the likeness of God. This is what happens when the gospel takes root, when the Spirit is having His way in us. Last Sunday, we looked at the first five verses of Matthew chapter 7. Verses that began these words, do not judge. Words that I would contend are often misunderstood and misapplied. Jesus' point, if you were here you know, is not that we check our brains, that we do not exercise our critical faculties, that we become non-thinking. Jesus' point is that we are not to be judgmental. We are not to be condemning. We are not to be critical fault finders. Rather, in humility and grace and gentleness, we are to come alongside brothers and sisters and help them identify and root sin out of their lives. But before we do that, we need to, in humility, look in the mirror. We need to look into our own lives and be honest about our own sin and our own need for grace, and we seek to root that out. And from that place of humility and recognizing our great need for grace, we come alongside others gently and humbly. Jesus was speaking of our attitudes. This morning, as we explore this one verse, there are four questions that I want to ask with you. First, what is this? What is this verse? How are we to to think of it? Secondly, uh, what questions do we need to answer if we hope to understand what Jesus is saying? There's a number of questions we need to answer, so what are those questions? Third, what is the point that Jesus is making? What is he saying? And then fourth, how does this apply to our lives today? What does this mean for us going forward? So first question, what is this? Uh, This verse, this saying of Jesus is found only here in the canonical Gospels. We will not find it in Mark or Luke or John, only here in Matthew. It has the character of a proverb. If you are familiar with the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings, words about how we are to live, what you shouldn't do if you want to be wise, what not to do if you don't want to be foolish. So it has the character of a proverb, a statement about practical, godly uh, truth for living. But, but what else can we say about this verse? Well, one scholar says this, verse 6 seems cryptic and unconnected to the immediate context. Another scholar says, this verse appears to be a detached, independent saying, apparently unrelated to the preceding or following context, inserted here for no special reason, but only as another saying of Jesus. Now, I would agree that this is part of what follows. The, if you're following along in the NIV, there's a chapter or a, a section division between verse 6 and verse 7, and I think that's uh, appropriate. This is not directly part of what comes next, but I would contend that it does actually bear a relationship to what precedes it, and, and that connection, that link will become clear as we uh, continue to study it. 
But when we read these words, I don't know what your first reaction was. When we hear these words on the lips of Jesus, we might find them a little bit shocking, a little bit jarring, almost incongruous with what Jesus has been saying. In the verses before this, Jesus has just said, don't judge or you'll be judged. He has said, in the way that you judge others, you will be judged. He says, how can you remove a speck from someone else's eye when you've got a plank sticking out of your face? And then this, don't give dogs what is sacred, don't throw pearls before pigs. It seems jarring, it seems a little harsh even, it seems to fly a little bit in the face of what Jesus has been saying. He's been saying, don't be judgmental, and here he says these hard words. But I trust that as we unpack them over the coming minutes, it will be clear that what Jesus is saying here does not contradict what he has just said, but is a necessary addition. Leads us to our second question. What, what questions do we need to answer? There are a number of questions that likely came to your mind as I read, uh, if you weren't sleeping. Uh, one is, uh, who is Jesus referring to when he speaks of dogs and pigs? Who's Jesus pointing to when he uses those terms? A second question, what is Jesus pointing to when he speaks of that which is sacred and uh, your pearls? What, what is he referencing? What is he pointing to? Third, uh, what exactly is the danger that Jesus has in mind when he speaks about being trampled and torn to pieces? These are all significant questions that we need to sort through as we think about and try and discern what Jesus is saying. Now, if we, we hope to dis- discern his warning, we've got to figure those things out. So let's consider first Jesus' reference to dogs. And I'll ask a question. How many of you would describe yourself, well, how many of you have a dog or would describe yourself as a dog person? I was going to say as opposed to a cat person, but I suppose those aren't mutually exclusive. You could like both. We don't have a dog, but I, I love dogs. I remember as a kid wanting a dog really badly, and I begged and begged and begged. And, and finally, when I went into junior high, my older brother and I were allowed to buy a dog. We found uh, this little adorable junior dog. Uh, uh, German Shepherd Husky. We bought at a garage sale for five bucks. I don't know if you can do that anymore these days. Uh, but Dusty was awesome. Loved having that dog. And, uh, and you know, we, we thought, our boys asked for dogs as they were growing up. And I thought, yeah, you know, diapers, we got enough stuff to deal with. Maybe someday when everyone's potty trained. And then that day came and I thought, you know, I really like walking in my backyard with bare feet and not worrying about landmines. And so it just never happened. We did dog sit for extended periods of time once or twice a year for friends, and so we kind of got our fix, and that was good. But I love dogs. Dogs are great, right? We, we hear dogs. We think of that family dog, that friendly dog that, that, that we have, that we like, those of us who do. Maybe some of you hate dogs and might lose you here. But anyways, when Jesus speaks of dogs here, he does not have in mind that friendly family pet. In, in the historical context of Jesus' day, dogs were wild animals. They, they tended to be in packs. They were scavengers, mongrels. They were, they were dirty, filthy, wild, scary animals. You would not want to run into a pack of dogs in the ancient world coming around some street corner at night. So when Jesus speaks of dogs, it's not the friendly, bathe, you know, happy dog that, that might come to our minds. No, this is a wild, dirty mongrel. That's what Jesus is saying. What about pigs? 
Jesus says, don't throw pearls to pigs. Those of you familiar with the biblical story will know that for the Jews, pigs were considered unclean. That is, in the Old Testament, uh, God gave his people the law, ritual ceremonial laws, and in the ceremonial laws, certain animals were determined to be unclean. Others were clean. They could eat clean animals, but they had to avoid unclean animals. Pigs were among unclean animals. No ham, no bacon for the people of God through the Old Testament. We can ask why. Is there something intrinsically bad about pigs? That the reality is God, uh, God gave those laws because God was seeking to teach his people some important truths about holiness and, and unholiness, but about what is clean and what is unclean. And, and so all of those laws function together so that God's people were regularly thinking about uh, unclean and clean, holy and unholy. Because God wanted to teach them that he is a holy God, that they, because of their sin, are unholy, unclean, and so there was a need for sacrifice. There was a need for blood to be shed. In fact, the Day of Atonement was all about that. In Leviticus chapter 16, we read about the Day of Atonement. It was the one day every year where God's people had to go through various rituals as a way of symbolically cleansing them, cleansing their camp of sin and uncleanness so that the holy God could live in their midst without killing them, without them dying because of his holiness and their sin. And so God was teaching his people throughout all, through all these laws about what is holy and clean, what is sinful and unclean, unholy. And so pigs were unclean, and so for God's people... That was thoroughly ingrained in their minds. Disciples would have, I mean, that was just automatic. In, in fact, the, the uncleanness of pigs was so significant. Uh, about 200 years before Jesus said these words, uh, the Jews were conquered by the Seleucid Empire, and the, the, the king, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, he was a a violent man, a hateful man, and in order uh, to spite the Jews, he actually, when they took control of Jerusalem, went into the temple with a pig and sacrificed it on their altar to a pagan god, just because he wanted just to, to twist the knife. Pigs were unclean, unholy, and that was thoroughly ingrained in the Jewish mindset. So, in answering our question, uh, who is Jesus referring to? Before we get to answering that, we need to understand this, that when Jesus references dogs and pigs, we need to recognize that he is using these terms in a derogatory way. He's not, he's not complimenting whoever he is speaking of here. We need to grasp that reality. He's not complimenting their character. Let's turn now to the second question, what is Jesus referencing when he speaks of what is sacred and when he speaks of pearls? Well, the word translated uh, what is sacred is literally uh, the word holy. Don't give what is holy to dogs. Well, what's holy? Well, I just talked about God is holy. So whatever this sacred thing is, it, it is about God. It relates to God. It, that's the direction it points us. And when we turn to the second word, pearls. How about that? Well, in a few chapters further past the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will tell a parable some of you will be familiar with, the parable of the pearl of great price. 
uh, Jesus will talk about, well, here, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. That is, the pearl of great price is, is the message of the kingdom. It's the good news that Jesus brings. That's the pearl. And, and sacred things is holy things. So he, here's what Jesus is pointing to when he says sacred things and speaks of this don't throw pearls. He, he's speaking of gospel truths. He's speaking about the truths about God, the truths about the inbreaking kingdom of heaven, about what God is doing, the, the glorious gospel. What we encounter in, in this verse is, is typical parallelism. That is, dogs and pigs essentially same, the same thing, getting at the same group of people. And that which is sacred or holy in the pearls is getting at things related to Christ and the gospel and the kingdom of heaven, what God is doing, who God is. Those are the answers that we need. So we turn to our third question, what is the point that Jesus is making? Think with me for a moment about what Jesus said to us last week through verses 1 to 5. Jesus taught that as the gospelized, as men and women, young and old, in whom the good news of salvation through Christ is taking root and bringing about transformation, that we are not to be judgmental, that we are not to be those who are condemning, uh, critical fault finders. See, that is one danger we face, and likely we've encountered that, likely we've all been guilty of that. Even as those who've come to Christ, there are times where we can act with a judgmental spirit, a judgmental attitude. We can, we can act in a condemning way. That's one danger. And Jesus, in the text we looked at last week, challenged us, warned us that that is not who we are to be as the gospelized. That when the gospel takes root, we're transformed into not unthinking, uncritical people, but into people who, who live with humility and gentleness, and grace. But the one danger is that we can be judgmental. But there is another danger that surfaces at this point that is being addressed here. That is, Jesus calls us as the gospelized, as those who have surrendered our lives to him, he calls us to, to love our neighbors. He has, even in the Sermon on the Mount, he has called us to love our enemies. He has called us to to mirror God's graciousness, that we are to avoid judgmentalism. Uh, but we face this danger of becoming undiscriminating, that, uh, undiscerning, as we strive to not be judgmental. Here's what D.A. Carson writes. He says, we are in chronic danger of becoming wishy-washy, of refusing legitimate distinctions between truth and error, good and evil. See, as those who are gospelized, those in whom the good news is taking root and transforming us, as citizens of God's in-breaking kingdom, we are to live on mission. We are salt. We are light. We live on mission for those who don't know Jesus, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, uh, announcing the good news of salvation through Christ. But here's the point. We're not to do so without discernment, without God-given, Spirit-led wisdom and discretion. So does that mean that Jesus here is using the term dogs and pigs to speak of unbelievers? 
Well, clearly not all. Jesus is not saying that all non-believers bear this description. Jesus gives us the Great Commission. This gospel will end with, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. As the gospelized, Jesus has said to us in this sermon, on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are the salt, not be salt, not you should try and be salt. He says, you are salt of the earth. You, you are the light of the world. That is, God wants to spread the good news through us to those who right now don't believe. And as we do so, Jesus has also told us that we are to expect opposition. We are to expect resistance. We're to love our enemies. That means, first of all, acknowledging that there are some who live as our enemies. We are to pray for those who persecute us. That is to acknowledge that there will be those who persecute us. Jesus tells us uh, that we are to pronounce blessings upon people when they insult us, or he, he pronounces blessing on us when people insult us, persecute us, and falsely say all kinds of evil against us. So none of that should surprise us. Because after all, what is true was true for each one of us before we came to Christ. What is true of everyone who is apart from Christ is that all of us lived as enemies of Christ, lived as enemies of the cross. And the Bible describes us as, as slaves to sin, children of wrath. That is, before the Spirit of God takes hold of our hearts, before we are regenerated, before we come to that place of surrender and faith, before we kneel before Christ as the poor in spirit who recognize we come with nothing and only his grace, before then we all stand as enemies. And so Jesus cannot with these words, dog and pig, he cannot be identifying all unbelievers. It's just not possible in light of what he is saying. But he is pointing to some, not every unbeliever, but he is pointing to some. He's pointing to some who defiantly, viciously, violently reject the gospel. Those who persist stubbornly, arrogantly in their rejection of the gospel. John Calvin writes this, that dogs and swine are names given not to every kind of debauched men or to those who are destitute of the fear of God or of true good godliness, but to those who by clear evidence have manifested a hardened contempt of God so that their disease appears to be incurable. What Christ is calling us to is to be men and women guided by the Spirit who exercise discernment. He's saying that, that as we live on mission, there will be some who will violently, viciously, arrogantly resist and reject the gospel, and we are called to be discerning, wise. We see this lived out, exemplified in various places in the New Testament pages. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends the 12 out on mission. He tells them to go, not to take anything with them, go, be hosted where you go, and then he says this, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and go more on the day of judgment than for that town. Shake the dust off your sandals. We don't understand what that's about. A little background, when the people of God went into exile, in 586, 
There were some people left behind. And those people uh, intermarried with foreigners who were transplanted into the Palestinian area. And they became known as the Samaritans. And when Jews came back, the Jews, they, they looked down their noses at Samaritans. Samaritans were half-breeds. They weren't truly the people of God in the estimation of, of the Jewish people. And so there was this hatred, this animosity. And, and Samaria lay right in the middle of, of, of Israel. And so the most direct route through Samaria, but generally they, the Jews would avoid going through Samaria at all they could. They, they would go around. It would be as if, if the animosity between Edmonton and Calgary was, was that intense, it would be like driving to Lethbridge through Regina just so you don't have to go through Calgary. The Jews hated the Samaritans. And on those rare occasions, for whatever reason, they had to, they had to go through Samaria. When they got to the edge of Samaria, traveling back into Jewish land, they would take off their sandals and they would shake the dust off because they didn't want unclean Samaritan dust in Israel. Jesus says, if people reject you, shake the dust off your sandals. It is a symbolic act of judgment. It is Jesus saying through his disciples, you are no longer part of God's people. You have rejected me. You have rejected God. You have rejected the good news. We see this again in the ministry of Paul when he is in Pisidian Antioch, Acts chapter 13, we read this. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord through Paul. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. And if you read on, Paul and Barnabas shake the dust off their sandals. In Acts 18, Paul in Corinth, every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. The sobering reality that Jesus shares with us is that not all will repent and believe. Not only that, but there's some who will oppose with great venom and violence. There were some who will reject Christ and harden their hearts to Christ and remain under God's coming judgment. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, you've not surrendered to Jesus, the Bible says that that remains true for you. That was true of every one of us. It's level ground at the foot of the cross. All of us, as I said, all of us apart from Christ's salvation are enemies of the cross, are enemies of Christ. And if you have not surrendered to him, I invite you even this morning to come to him. He gave himself for you. He invites you. Come, come before him and receive his grace. Fourth question, how does this apply to us today? What, what are the takeaways? What does Jesus want us to know and hold on to? First is this, brothers and sisters, that in Christ, in the good news, we have received something of incredible worth 
something so gloriously good beyond description. God in his great love, God in his great mercy loved us when we were rebels, when we were his enemies, when we were thumbing our noses at him. God in his great love sent his son Jesus. Jesus left the glories of heaven, the perfection of heaven, the holiness of heaven. He left it and he put on human flesh and he came and became a man. And he lived his life in this broken, sinful world. And he lived a life of complete surrender to the Father. He lived a life of of complete obedience, the life that you and I are called to live and the life that you and I continually fail to live. He lived perfectly and fully. And then willingly, he laid down his life for us. The cross is no accident of history. The cross is God's plan to redeem us. And at the cross, Jesus willingly laid down his life. He suffered not only physical agony, but the abandonment of his Father in our place, suffering the punishment that you and I deserve for our wickedness, for our rebellion against him. He bore it. He drank the cup of God's wrath to the very dregs so that through faith in him we might receive life, that we might be washed pure and holy, made clean, adopted as daughters and sons of the king of the universe, loved, loved, and secure. Brothers and sisters, that is gloriously good news, and it is so, so precious. And we have been entrusted with it. We have been saved by it. Second, as I already noted, a somber recognition is that not all will believe in Christ. The Bible is clear. Psalm 1 introduces us to the fact that there are only two ways. There is the path, the way of wickedness, and there is the way of righteousness that we either remain in our rebellion against God or we surrender to Christ and receive His grace. There are only two ways, and some will reject Christ. Some will harden themselves to the gospel. Some will remain under God's judgment. And some will lash out the people of God as we seek to live on mission for Him and what Christ calls us to is not to, not to avoid rejection, not to avoid persecution or opposition. That will come. We're called to love our enemies. But we are called to exercise discernment that, that when there is violent, persistent, stubborn, arrogant rejection, that, that Christ says, handle the gospel carefully. Here's what John Stott writes. Our Christian witness and evangelistic preaching are not to be entirely indiscriminate. 
if people have had plenty of opportunity to hear the truth but do not respond to it, if they stubbornly turn their backs on Christ, if, in other words, they cast themselves in the role of dogs and pigs, we are not to go on and on with them, for then we cheapen God's gospel by letting them trample it underfoot. Can anything be more depraved than to mistake God's precious pearl for a thing of no worth? And actually tread it into the mud. The point is not that some will reject the gospel. The thrust of this is that some will reject it violently. Some will cast themselves in the role of dog and pig. Dea Carson says their cynical mockery, their intellectual arrogance, their love of moral decay, and their vaunted self-sufficiency make them utterly impervious to the person and work of Christ. And he goes on and says this, over the years I have gradually come to the place where I refuse to attempt to explain Christianity and introduce Christ to the person who just wants to mock and argue and ridicule. It accomplishes nothing good and there are so many other opportunities where time and energy can be invested more profitably. Is that not what we see lived out at Jesus' instruction by the twelve, is that not what we see lived out by Paul? He proclaims the gospel. He faces opposition, but there comes a point where he shakes his sandals off, where he walks away. We are, as the gospelized, we are not to be judgmental or condemning, but we are called to exercise godly, spirit-led discernment. We're not to be foolish. We're not to beat our heads against a wall. We need to understand that some will harden themselves. Some will react violently to the gospel. In closing, let me say this. The gospel is a thing of such great worth, such great beauty. It is precious beyond description. And we, as those in whom the gospel has taken root, are called to live as ambassadors of that good news, proclaimers of the good news that we have encountered in Jesus, as those who have taken hold of that precious pearl. And as we live as his missionary people, as we live as his ambassadors, we are called by Christ to live with wisdom, godly wisdom, Holy Spirit-led wisdom with discernment. Jesus says to his disciples, he says to us, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Amen.